Welcome to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast. I'm Chris, the Heavy Metal Strength Coach. As you all know, I usually have a guest, but I've decided that I'm going to give something else a go. So each time I release an article on the blog, I'm going to do a little podcast episode to go through the article, to read it, to explain some of the points on there, uh, and to just generally see how that goes. Might be bad, might be amazing. We'll see what you guys think. So if you have an opinion on it, please drop me a message. Drop me an email, drop me a comment on something, and then if it's something that you all enjoy, and then we'll get into it from there. So the article that I am talking about is called How to Enjoy Coaching Forever or a Super Long Time. And we start with being a personal trainer can be hard at the best of times. As a personal trainer, you tell people to exercise forever. This is the thing that they're going to be doing for the rest of their life. And this is something that like we'll tell beginners every single time they come into the gym. And if you're training like four, five, six, seven new beginners a month, that, that, that can start to feel really repetitive, even though we are forging transformational change. And a lot of PTs can get kind of get bogged down in that repetition. Be there to help people train for a variety of goals through a steady process of planning, application, assessment, fostering autonomy. And this can take many years. And with certain people, like, for example, I had a client um, a few years ago that it took me 18 months to teach her to be able to do a bodyweight squat. And we worked through lots of different variations and lots of supported versions, lots of goblet squat variations, barbell variations until we got there. And then um, it, it took a long time. And for us, that was a huge thing. But if you're um, a personal trainer that's new to the field, you might think that it's something wrong with your coaching, which was um, it taking 18 months. But it was just because it took as long as it took. And that's what it took for her to be able to process that movement. And ultimately, it was worth it. And she fostered a lifelong love of training. And she's still training to this day. So... Sometimes we have clients who don't actually really care about that whole educational process. They just want to be told what to do. And for those guys, PTs can feel a little bit like um, a bean counter. And these are people that will often kind of stand there like they're expecting you to take off their weights and almost treat you like the help, which has its own particular thoughts attached to it. It's not the most gratifying way to make your money as a trainer, but a lot of clients will see you like that. And whether you can accept that as a coach is kind of up to you. Um, Lee Boyce puts out there that, it, you know, we trainers should be treated as experts in something, not just the help. But sometimes when a trainer is, just to help we are making real change in someone's life. So whether you want to be that change is kind of up to you. If you want to work with those people, it's up to you. A lot of the time I will work with them. 
and I find it very hard to not work with someone because I'm not particularly happy in that situation. So it can seem very monotonous and it's very important that we keep that monotony um, as something that we can still take an interest in, that we can still get our teeth into and maintain that passion that got us into coaching in the first place. The hours are weird. We're PTing people at six in the morning, PTing people at eight o'clock in the evening. Uh, and in the middle of the day where people are normally working, we've got this little dry spell where we can do some training. Uh, we can have some downtime. We can do whatever, but that's normally where people are working. And therefore, the hours are really weird and that can make things a little bit funky with our mental health. You might end up training someone for 14 years or two sessions. So certainty, certainty is rarely a part of a personal trainer's life. And that, that certainty, that always having to watch your own back, that in a month's time, I might not have a living. That is something that can be very difficult for a lot of people to deal with. A lot of people need more certainty than that. And especially in the UK, where a lot of us are self-employed, it is our own back. And if we decided not to work tomorrow, then we're not making an income there's no real support there that pressure is constantly on and that is a very hard to deal with also i think a lot of personal trainers choose the wrong job it's so easy to qualify as a coach. and by that i mean certifications are very easy to come by now uh, my particular one took two years and that was in 2008 2010 and now people wouldn't dream of taking two years to qualify as a personal trainer and therefore, it's with it being so easy to qualify as a coach, a lot of people do it. So they'll kind of get into the industry and they'll bail out quickly. And I, I don't really, I don't want to change that because a lot of those people aren't suited to the industry. What I'd like to find is a way to regulate that, to stop that from happening. So therefore, we do need to make it so that it's much more difficult to qualify as a personal trainer. And I think we need to make it a legal requirement to train for a certain amount of time not necessarily a degree but to train for a certain amount of time before you get that certification to have certain proofs in place uh, that mean that you can't just put personal trainer on your back and start trading what i do want to assist with is helping those who are suited to the industry who make it through the first years and who do or will make a great coach to stay motivated and keen to learn for as long as possible it's always a shame to lose a great coach to another industry. A massive percentage of coaches drop out after the first couple of years because they can't make it work. We can take some of those who will be good coaches and make them better and able to cope with those first years. We're going to make the industry better. So below, we're going to how to keep the fire burning decades into your coaching career. And the reason that I can say for 15 years and I love it now more than I ever have. And that's why you should listen to me been doing it for over a dozen years and it's a dozen years full of fantastic memories and the knowledge that I have definitely made a difference in people's lives. I'm still training one of my clients from 14 years ago and I know that I've made my life better by the training that we've done. I know that people have met their partners because of the training that they've achieved lifelong goals that they know that they are capable of amazing things, that they are capable of progress. So I've helped people and at least up to now I have created a comfortable life for my family from humble beginning. Not that I have a hugely lavish lifestyle unlike my spoiled cats but my career is in a good place. It lasted through the COVID pandemic. In fact the COVID year was one of the best 
business years that I've ever had. And I was very lucky to have the clients that I have in order to get me through. It's at least partly down to design and coupled with a whole lot of luck. I went, I want to help others achieve the same and more. So here are my go-to strategies for keeping my relationship with coaching warm and fuzzy. And I think this is a really important part of this, that you should find people fascinating. One of the main reasons my career is fulfilling is I always assume the person in front of me can teach me a life lesson. Now, when each interaction can make you a better coach is a fundamental way to make a session more appealing, even if you have done 10,000 plus sessions that are Career. So yeah, if you're thinking that at any moment you can learn something from someone, then you're going to be paying rapt attention whenever you can. You want to find wonder and intrigue in any part of this industry that can fuel your desire to keep learning and can keep you wanting to turn up to every session. To use some examples of things that I'm always intrigued about, one, like how a client moves, like how they do a deadlift, how they drink from the drinks tap, how they walk up the stairs after a leg session, how they move during a single leg exercise. Like every single way that they, um, the, the direction that they look every time they deadlift. I had a client that every time he deadlifted heavy, he looked at his left foot and he had no idea that he was doing it. That's absolutely fascinating. I'm fascinated and intrigued by how a client thinks. I'm on. I'm fascinated by the things that you can say to someone to unlock the door to a client reaching their goals, to make them realize that they need to do a certain thing. One of them in particular is what coaching cues work for someone. This is like the holy grail for me. Like what word works for that person to make them change their movement in a way that I want to see that makes it less painful, that makes it flow better, that makes them confident. What one word does that? What one little simple phrase can I give to that person and that what key to their movement from communication is there to help me coach them better? That is the essence of coaching right there. And that's one of the reasons and that kind of ties into number five, which is finding how to talk to a client. Intriguing. The way that you talk to one client isn't the same as another. So it's very, very individual. You have to talk to each client slightly differently. I think that people should find that intriguing. Another one is how to give the client the best gym experience. How can you make their session transformative, whether you've been training them 14 years and they've had a horrible day at work, or whether it's their first ever session and their age, I don't know, 56, 70, 18. How can you make that gym experience the best it can possibly be. How do you navigate that in a busy gym? How do you navigate that in a private studio? How do you navigate that on a field in someone's house? Whatever gym experience they have, how can you make that the best experience possible? I am intrigued by how a client feels when they are on the gym floor. And I think that's an essence of coach as well. If you can understand how they feel, in this alien environment, even though it's not alien to you, then I think you're going to be a good coach. I think the likelihood is you're going to be a good coach. I'm going to be intrigued about how a client eats and how a client behaves away from the gym and how a client's goals can change over time. And I also fundamentally want to know why the last season of Game of Thrones was so bad, but I'm not going to spend much time reopening that wound. I want you to marvel at how diverse and interesting people are. If you can maintain a sense of wonder and awe at how you can learn something from every 
session it should help you to stay inspired for the our next point about keeping coaching your passion to keep that fire burning is reducing burnout and burnout affects the best of us coaches will work every hour under the sun and give every part of themselves to the cause that is their pt business like checking whatsapp messages at like three in the morning having those notifications on all the time and that just isn't sustainable it doesn't facilitate a fulfilling career and doesn't make coach happy in the long term because they're giving all of their energy to and i've put a little uh, gif in there saying how charmingly naive when i started as a personal trainer in around 2010 uh, i started at a new budget commercial gym there were thousands of new members and i was determined to make it as a coach despite having zero and i'm in zero idea what I was doing. I didn't know people charged hourly. I didn't know how to invoice people. I didn't even have business cards at first. It was crazy. I don't know how I did it. I decided to spend as much time at the gym as I could. If someone thought of exercise for less, I wanted them to think of me. Exercise for less didn't have a bad reputation at the time. It was just started. Now I certainly wouldn't want people to think about me when they think about exercise for less, but I digress. I'd stay at the gym all day if my first session was at 6 a.m. and my last one was at 7 p.m. That still applied. I'd be there all day. I was single at the time, could do that. It worked and it worked well. I ended up having numerous days in a row where I could do up to 12 one-to-one 60-minute PT sessions a day. Might sound like showing off, but as anyone who has done 12 sessions in a day with the test, it's insane. Can't function by that. I thought working more was the only way to succeed, and this lasted about 14 weeks. And then I arrived at the gym one day. I did a session or two, and I saw that I had another eight or nine sessions that day. And suddenly I just knew that I couldn't handle coaching that day. I broke down. And I went into the office and I spoke to the manager and just said, I need to go home. And this person hadn't had any drama from me whatsoever. She looked shocked and said, call your clients, let them know. And I did that. I went to my grandma's house. I slept, I cried, and I vowed never to let the job make me feel like that again. And then from then on, I scheduled regular time off. I gave myself a day off a week and then I eventually progressed to two because I'd already started to build that base of clients and could do that. I schedule regular holidays where I'm banned from working. I find that really difficult. If my partner is listening to this, she'll know that I occasionally forget to do that. And that is one of the habits that I struggle with the most. These periods off do wonders for my mental health. And I would recommend engaging in as much downtime as you can, where you rest hard while you're moving your career forward. I had fallen into a behavioral pattern where switching off and being away from work didn't happen. And I needed to change that. And since I have, my career has been so much better. And it allows me to invest as much energy in my career as possible and to keep that fire. Which goes on to my next point, which is to stick to your time. As soon as you book people in outside of your scheduled hours, you'll keep doing it. An example of this, I started booking people in at eight o'clock on a Monday, Tuesday and Thursday. I vowed to do it just once. And then I have since been putting people into that slot fairly regularly, which has had impacts on my relationship, which has had relation um, impacts on my child because I'm spending less time with him. Or I'm spending less downtime with my family that improves my mental health when I'm spending time with my newborn. Oh, not newborn. is like one and a half now. But with my one and a half old, the day after, if you've had less downtime, your mental health will be worse and that quality time that you spend together 
might not be as good. So I need to get onto that. You've got to be strict with your time boundaries as these are slippery slopes, but are particularly slippery as I found out. I think you should turn off your phone, watch, and technology notifications when possible. And this is one of my favorite burnout savers because the only ones getting through are phone calls and the random news updates if you've yet to work out how to turn them off. There are many benefits to this, from not being able to see if a client has messaged you as you're about to sleep, to being able to tell your client they can message you at any time without them having to worry about being a burden. So what I tell my clients is that if they need to have like a, a message dump, um, they can send me everything that they want to send me at three in the morning and they're still not going to wake me up. So that means that they can message me at any time, but they also know that I'm not going to re reply straight away. So they're not going to be checking the phone every single uh, minute to make sure that I've seen it, to make sure that I've read it. And they're desperate for that reply because they know that I'm not going to reply. They can do this because without notification. The only time messages are seen is when I want to see them. I sleep much better now, notifications don't bother me. I used to have so many nights where I'd see that a particular person would message me and that it would require a lot of work or maybe I've got a particular strife and I wouldn't sleep because of it. And that would affect my job negatively across the board. So I sleep much better. I think coaches need to reduce decision fatigue to keep their job as interesting, as fun, as passion-inducing as possible. Is that a word? Don't know. We'll see. So, decision fatigue is the process of making gradually poorer decisions due to having to make lots of decisions over a period of time. When you reach high decision fatigue too often, you rarely feel you are giving your client value for money as you can't trust your decisions. If you can't trust your decisions, how can you trust your coaching? Decision fatigue results in poorer exercise selection, poorer load selection, and diminishes your ability to effectively coach. And this is how I reduce decision there will be many other factors that go into this these are my strategies and i only do up to four pt sessions in a row unless something happens that means i've made a mistake in my diary which i sometimes do i never do more than eight sessions in a day i recently let that slip and did nine i'll be better i'll be back to that eight rule in no time i never try to multitask in a session i promote automatic time-based habits removing the need for decisions. I have set working hours where possible. A client gets a regular session time where they can rely on it each week. So they know, for example, they're going to train every week at three. And I don't have to think about like where should we put them in there. That's quite hard to do that with everyone when they've got shifts and things like that. I try and do it as much as possible. I plan each session beforehand unless the client has made it clear they want to decide what to train on a given day. I have some people that insist on it. I carry a notebook and a to-do list with me at all times, so I'm not worried about forgetting I schedule regular catch-ups with clients to reduce having to decide to make contact. I start doing anything work-related close to and during training. And for every hour of deep work I do, I take seven minutes off before engaging in the task. I often struggle with choosing between two things and the choice doesn't matter. I'll flip a coin to make the choice for me. And I'd like everyone to have a think about how you could reduce the amount of decisions you have to make on a given day of coaching. See how applying those changes makes you feel. See what impact it has on your business. And I bet you'll be less stressed. You'll be more motivated and more present in every interaction. Eventually, a PT needs to craft their routine to work for them. 
Scheduling your days in a manner appropriate to you may be exactly what you need to attain a sense of fulfillment in your career. And this is after a few years. I don't want you to think, well, I want to work on just a Monday afternoon when you're first starting as a coach. When you're first starting as a coach, you might have to work every single hour under the sun to make that career. I'm not saying you should instantly go into your perfect routine. It took me 10 years of coaching to get there. And some people like to schedule every minute of every day. Some people like to go for the flow, which is best. I think the answer lies between the two. Scheduling every minute of the day can work well for a short time, but life doesn't allow that for long. Life happens. I schedule days where your schedule is loose or non-existent, where there is some grey area for you to be playful and to occasionally throw the schedule out of the window because your favourite band are playing, your hometown, and you shouldn't miss out because tonight is your favourite Thursday night admins. You have to practice being off the clock as diligently as being on it. The next part about keeping PT amazing is knowing that culture trumps all. If you want to enjoy your career forever, the culture of your work environment matters so much. Back in 2000 and worked in 2018, I worked in a gym I weren't in. At this gym, the work environment was toxic. The atmosphere was hostile. The gym was struggling financially, so the owners would take it out on the staff. Managers refused to remove members who were violent, and it was hard to keep turning up for my clients. I began to hate coaching, or at least I thought I did. In hindsight, we know it was the workplace culture I despised. It took me a couple of months to strip the enjoyment from the job. A matter of weeks, days. Rewind or fast forward 18 months and the positive gym cultures I was engrossed in, in and around that 2018, helped foster my love for coaching. Some of the signs of a great gym culture, teamwork, mutual respect, competence across the board of varying levels, a variety of experience levels, Mentorship programs, staff and members love the facility. Autonomy is encouraged in that environment. Aggression isn't tolerated. Wins are celebrated. Communication is clear. Staff turnover is low. And a growth mindset is encouraged. Obviously, there are many more things in that list that I've missed. The list isn't exhaustive, but if you can find a facility which provides all or most of the above, you have a wonderful place to work. Very lucky at Graftams to have that. If the current place you work lacks any of the above and it is destroying your love for helping people, then something needs to change. Poor gym culture has destroyed many personal trainer careers. Don't let one destroy yours. Try and cut down on multitasking. When you multitask, you lower your productivity and reduce the quality of everything you do. Try to catch yourself each time you are multitasking and remove it from your life where you can. If you've been in the habit of multitasking, it will be a hard task to break that cycle. I have a notebook to write down any thoughts preoccupying me and preventing me from being present in whatever I'm doing. Sometimes I'm not great at it. Sometimes I'm awesome at it. But over time, I will get better and will practice it more. I spend as much time away from my phone as I can. I have my notifications turned off, so I'm not distracted. I separate tasks to prevent task overlap wherever possible. I've stopped listening to anything new when driving. It made me a worse driver, and the information never went anywhere. When I catch myself multitasking, I forgive myself and move on. It has made a huge difference to my mental health, and I'm far more productive than I'm not. 
multitasking. James Clear, the awesome writer of the legendary book now, Atomic Habits, suggests selecting one anchor task per day as your one and only priority task that is non-negotiable. Everything else should be separated from that task so it can be mastered with high quality. Our next point on this article is continued education. The quality of your coaching ebbs and flows over the years. More experience on the job doesn't necessarily make you a better coach. An experienced PT might have been making the same mistakes for years. You should embrace a growth mindset and that you can always be doing something better and have a thirst for learning everything there is to know about fitness, health, and exercise throughout your career. I would also add to really double down on applying any of the knowledge that you learn so that it can become wisdom. It's not all about the search that new knowledge, new knowledge, new knowledge, new knowledge. You have to apply it as well. You should Courses are expensive. To get around that, once you are a qualified PT, I recommend getting on board with an educational platform called Lift the Bar, um, which is brimming with courses and great content for a fair price. You can find their wonderful price via... Um, <laughs> wonderful price. I apologise. You can find their wonderful site via the show notes or via the link in the article that will also be shows. Its monthly cost is roughly that of a gym membership, and if you can afford that, wonderful. I started using them after 12 years as a coach, and it has made me a better coach already. The resources are great, and the community is wonderful. The Facebook group is particularly great. I always get a lot from that stuff. And both, I get a lot both from answering the questions on there and asking questions on there. Courses can add new flavor to your training. The courses can make you feel more confident and accomplished and keep your motivation higher. Here's a part that I really love. I really, really love, and that's helping other coaches. One of my favorite parts of my job is helping other coaches. Later, I'll talk about coaching for a higher purpose and setting a good example to other coaches as one of the most motivating things that I can think of. You can help other PTs by doing an incredible job with your clients, my clients, or you can work directly with other coaches who may have had some made some similar mistakes to you. I'm a big fan of allowing other PTs to shadow my sessions or to ask me questions or bounce ideas off me. It's extremely fulfilling, especially when other coaches talk about how much you've helped them or when they don't need to tell you as it is self-evident. When you've given someone advice and you can see them apply that on the gym floor, it is incredibly gratifying because you've made a difference to their career and you've made a difference to the person that they're working with as well it's incredible helping other pts may make you feel more motivated to keep one step ahead of the coaches you are helping while trying to facilitate them jumping you by several steps so you're both constantly pushing each other forward if everyone does this we take the entire industry to a higher standard and if we do that we can celebrate our wins and we can learn from our losses celebrating your wins is a great way to show how many people you have helped and generate leads it's also great for the ego Learning from your losses and reflecting on your mistakes give you the opportunity to be a better, more fulfilled coach. You might celebrate the length of time you've worked with someone. You might marvel at your client who now trains alone in a busy gym with ease after previously being too scared to do so. The list of wins you can foster is endless. Enjoy them. Appreciate them. It's why we do this thing. Losses may come from poor exercise selection or poor communication or 
you've not slept and you've asked the wrong question, but any attempt at listing all potential losses or mistakes is doomed to failure. My friend and amazing coach and mentor, Tony Gentlecore, is an excellent example of someone who can publicly admit to fucking up and coming out on the other side of a blog post, a better coach. It's truly inspiring, and I feel we have a duty to follow his example. Here is one of my, <laughs> here is one of many quotes from Tony where he admits messing up, and I can't do his voice. I'm not going to try. In my younger years, I used to gravitate towards telling people that they have to get strong, they have to squat, and that they have to avoid body part splits at all costs. While I still feel that's the case much of the time, I also know that I turned off a lot of clients back in the day for being so pig-headed. Tony is great at recognising the opportunities minor mistakes afford us. He owns it, learns from it, and grows as a coach. Wins make us feel good instantly. Losses are mistakes, which become wins, create an ongoing sense of fulfilment as your gratification might be delayed by years. But when you get there, it is incredible. And for God's sake, have some fun. If you're lucky enough to work in a gym or training facility while working in a giant playground where there are endless opportunities to have fun. If you have fun at work without it compromising your professionalism, sometimes mine is compromised, <laughs> you'll look forward to work. Many people take training and coaching so seriously, and in a sense, it is serious. Lifting is a habit designed to keep you healthier, less dead, and more vital until the day you die, which is a deep, dark, and profound reason to have looming over you all the time. As a PT, you are helping someone create a lifetime habit. We talked about this at the start of the episode. The habit should be fun to all those involved to keep it interesting. I think many coaches think being serious all the time is the best and most professional way to coach. I don't agree. Certainly not all the time. Certainly with certain clients, they want that seriousness. They want that respect. They want everything to be clinical, and that's fine, but it definitely won't be everyone that you work with unless you work with a very, very small amount of people. My coaching is heavily on the side of play, and I thoroughly believe this is one of the reasons I am still madly in love with my coaching job after more than 12 years. And this is an interesting one for me because I am one of the staunchest atheists out there. I think you should coach for a higher purpose. I'm not going to tell you to make it about God, but if your coaching is fueled by a belief in a God and the world is a better place because of you, then great. The higher power I speak of, though, is coaching for something bigger than yourself. And I'm very small, so that's not very difficult. <laughs> I coach to try and be the best PT in the world and so I can set a good example to my family, my clients and other personal trainers. I coach to make a positive mark in the field of fitness and strength. When you coach for something bigger than yourself, where you feel as if you are making a real difference in the world because of your actions, your productivity will be burning brighter. Your productivity will be higher. Your, the difference that you will make will be greater. The impact that you have will be greater and you'll feel better doing it all. This is where building a community can be so important to your career longevity. The community might be your gym members. It might involve people across the world, like in the fantastic group on Facebook called Train Progress, run by my friend Patrick Humphrey. I'll link it up in the uh, show notes. And I did a podcast with him as well. My particular community interact via various social media platforms, in person as well. Uh, and it involves up to 100 people, but your community 
could be any size, as long as it provides you with the higher purpose you need to keep improving as a coach. And that's it. Easy, right? Now you can enjoy a fulfilling career forever by the heavy metal strength coach. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to that. I would say there's a few habits on there that I've let slip. The eight sessions in a day, the four sessions in a row, and recording this episode has really made me realize that I need to double down on that and make sure that to keep my coaching fire burning, I need to double down on making sure that I'm adhering to what I've just recorded to keep that passion going, to keep helping people and to keep wanting to turn up every single day to give my absolute honor to help people, to help myself, to help my family and to be the coach that everyone wants me to be. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'll speak to you again really soon. Thank you for listening to the Heavy Metal Strength Coach Podcast.